I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hello, everyone. This is Kristen Sinanta Walker, host of Mental Health News Radio and CEO of Everything EHR. She's back. Our most popular guest by thousands of downloads each week is Christine Louis de Cannonville. She joins us from Dublin, Ireland. Today we go off topic, of course, but we do delve into what no contact means with your narcissistic abusers, that there are levels of no contact, and how to deal with someone from the dark triad, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy, when you can't go no contact, but you must go low contact. Christine has been a psychotherapist and supervisor of mental health professionals for over 20 years. She worked in the trauma unit of a psychiatric hospital and worked specifically with victims of narcissistic abuse in her private practice. She is unique in that she trains professionals that work in the mental health field, psychotherapists, social workers, police, doctors, solicitors, law courts, HR management, educators, etc., how to work with victims of this form of abuse. Her goal is to make narcissistic personality disorder part of the required clinical curriculum for anyone working within the behavioral health field. Her website, NarcissisticBehavior.net, posts original and much-needed information about this specific form of abuse and information to help educate both therapists and survivors. She went on to develop an effective program for working one-on-one with victims suffering from narcissistic victim syndrome and developed workshops for educating therapists and other health professionals in the whole spectrum of narcissistic abuse. Much of her knowledge has come from her post-grad studies in criminology and forensic psychology. It is through these disciplines that she has gained her understanding of the dark triad. These three faces of evil, which is also the title of her recently published and excellent book, are vital information for understanding the full spectrum of narcissistic abuse. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Kristen. It's lovely to be back with you. It's been a little while, actually, hasn't it? It has, it has. Uh, I've been saying that before I uh, started the show that um, if I actually sat and thought about how many people now listen to our shows, <laughs> I would be nervous. So I try not to think about it because we're up in the, I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 downloads at this point on, on the shows that we've done. So that's 
quite impressive, wow. and it's also, you know, um, showing what an epidemic narcissism and, well, the three faces of evil are. So for our listeners, um, let us know the name of your book, uh, who you are, and, and your website. Well, the name of my book, which came out about a little over a month ago, I say, uh, is called The Three Faces of Evil. And it actually explains the different levels of narcissism and the you know the the forms of abuse. Each one obviously gets worse than the other. So um, the book came out from people asking me, how could I tell if I'm with a narcissist? Um, is it a psychopath? Is it a malignant narcissist? So I decided I couldn't find anything on the subject uh, to to recommend to people, so I decided to write this book myself. So, so, so it's the three faces of evil, and it's unmasking the full spectrum of narcissistic abuse. Right, and your behavior, your behavior, your um, website is narcissist, narcissisticbehavior.net. Yes, it is. And, and there's, a, there's a place there on for all the shows that we've done, and then there's also the uh, Mental Health News Radio website where we have all of Christine's shows listed there as well. Yes, I have a media page. If you go onto my site, there's a media page, so you can get all of these interviews there. And there's also um, a page if you want to go for the book. The book is on Amazon, um, both in America and in the UK. Um, so depending on where you are, if you're in Europe, you go for UK. If you're in America, obviously American Amazon. And uh, there's also the downloadable version if you want. You don't want to wait, and you you want it immediately. So that's available. So there's a page on my website where you can get access to all those links. Wonderful. So today, um, you know, I, when we haven't done a show in a while, I'll compile. A list of you know the most asked questions, um, and quite frankly, you know there are things I want to ask you too because we're all still going through our own healing in this, including me. Um, but one of the themes that keeps popping up, um, of course, is around what no contact, going no contact with with one of the um, dark triad or cluster B personality disordered people. Um, what no contact means and uh, why it's important. So can you tell us a little bit about what no contact is? Um, yeah, there's t basically there's two aspects to no contact. Um, when, you, when you read on the sites, there people are inclined to say absolutely no contact, don't do contact, get away. <clears throat> but that's not possible for everybody and it's not realistic for everybody um, but if you cannot do no contact and get away completely then you can you can do what's called low contact and that's actually watching how you respond to the nurses so we can we can talk about that if you wish to as well um, yeah I would like to get into that also because there are people with children for example or that work in the same industry like I do or um, you know there are many different ways that you can't completely go no contact but you can go like you said low contact yes yeah so when we're talking about no contact um, we're talking about first of all I strongly believe when I'm working with people that they must really have the desire themselves 
to do no contact. It's not it's not good enough for me to be suggesting it or anybody else to be suggesting it because the consequences of no contact can be very difficult and, and, and you know, very frightening. So the starting place is that the person actually must have the desire themselves. Um, and in my experience, I haven't yet found anybody who can suddenly go no contact straight off. Um, right. I found that people will go through a process of um, going backwards and forwards. So they try to break. They they might leave, and they might have every intention of doing no contact, but more often than not, they find themselves going back, and that's part of the process. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not. You know, they're not being wimps. Um, the effects of narcissistic abuse are so ingrained in a person that it creates a lot of codependency. It, it makes the person feel that they're not able to cope on their own. And of course, they worry about that. They hear that. They're told that often enough. Uh, who'd want you? Who'd have you? How, you know, you can't manage without me. Very often, if it's a woman, they may not have actually been in the workplace for some time. They may not have financial support. Um, so in a way, you know, they have to go through a process of, I think, of getting away. And they should not be made to feel bad because they have managed to break away and have gone back. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've come across that. I have. I mean, I certainly, before I knew this language of narcissism, I, I, and I've talked about this on our other shows, but I was doing everything I needed to do, I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but instinctively, I knew um, to go through no contact of varying degrees. And I think the part that helps with the education around this is I wish I had known that what I was, everything that I was doing instinctively was correct because I gave myself so much grief and guilt and told myself I was crazy for some of the things I was doing. And some of those things were I had blocked this person from my social media and, and the followers around this person, the, the, you know, the flying monkeys as we call them, the people that follow the narcissist, um, apaths, apathetic people. Um, wounded empaths and other narcissists that you know swirl around the you know the the person that is uh, you know abusing you. Um, I had blocked them from my um, instant messaging. Uh, I had blo I had turned blocked his phone from being able to call my phone. I had people responding to uh, he he and his followers on. Uh, in email rather than me doing it. I mean, I was doing all of these things in order to protect myself and to shield myself and to get away. I had moved out of being in the same building, but I didn't know that what I was doing was actually supremely healthy. I thought I was crazy, and yeah. had I known the language around this ahead of time, I would have just all of that guilt and shame around, what are you doing? You're crazy. That would have just been gone and I would have felt empowered that, good for you. Now I feel empowered. Good for me. I can't believe I knew to do those things. But at the time, um, it was an extra layer of pain uh, because I didn't know that what I was doing was actually correct. 
well, actually, you you were doing a brute force approach, and not everybody can do that. I mean, it, it was amazing that you did do it, that you instinctively you knew and were driven in that direction. Um, but not everybody can do that. I would have, in my own um, abuse, um, I would do the brute force approach. I, when I did make up my mind to go, I did do it in the one act, but um, I'm not clapping myself on the back at all, so please don't hear that, because I stayed far too long in the sick relationship when I knew it was sick. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't able to name it either, but I knew enough to know it was very sick and unhealthy. But, you know, the empath in me, I mm -hmm. wanted to fix it, and I wanted, I thought we were big enough to get over this, and we could just talk about it. And uh, so I stayed in far too long. That was the equivalent of actually going backwards and forwards, even though I'd never left, in a way. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering, did that, you know, when you made the leap and you, and you did it in the brute force act, which was brilliant, did you actually do a little of what I did? Did you try to fix things? Oh, absolutely. Before I, yes, because I would do things like delete his phone number, um, you know, go off of instant mes messaging with him, just all ways that I could protect myself. And then he would find ways to just, they know, I'm telling you, it's like blood in the water for a shark. They know when you've just about had it. So I would do these things and then he would call or he would offer me, oh, I want you to, now I want you to be a partner in my business or I want you to this and that. I'd hear just everything that I had wanted to hear um, you know, when we were with each other all the time, um, I would hear just when I was about ready to go full no contact, because I'm telling you, they're, they're so instinctive when they know someone is, when a big source of supply is going to detach pretty permanently. Um, but I, every so often I would, yes, I would take him back and think, okay, we can, you know, he wants to work on this relationship, we'll figure this out. Um, and every single time that I did that, the abuse, the the wonderful behavior was short-lived, and I learned later that that was just a setup. That was just him luring me back in to then discard me emotionally in some brutal way that was even worse than it ever had been before. Yeah, and um, I think people really need to realize that when we're talking about um, a level of attachment with a narcissist, it goes way beyond other relationships. It's yes. it's like no other relationship. It's much deeper. It's um, the hold on you and the hold on yourself is much deeper than anything else that you'll experience in any other relationship. Um, and I think people have to, especially therapists who are working with victims, need to become very aware of that fact. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I've said before and I've heard this so many times from our listeners that you know, go to therapy and they're with a therapist that just has no idea, um, you know, why they're there and doesn't understand why this person can't stop obsessing, can't stop ruminating, can't stop going back, 
some of the most damaging things that therapists have said to um, patients are you need to get you need to move past this you um, you know there is something wrong with you that you can't get past this I mean talk about the most disempowering when someone's in the middle of just they can't stop obsessing you have to obsess because that's part of what the infection I call it that's been you know dumped into you all the toxicity of the narcissist is you know been especially if you're an empath it's you're a open receptacle and they've yeah, just dumped absolutely. all of that blackness into you um, yes, I think part absolutely. of the the healing is being obsessed for a while the ob yeah absolutely the the obsession I actually see the obsession as very healthy although right. it feels it feels terrible for the victim themselves it's an awful your first thought in the morning when you wake up your last thought yeah. at night before you go to sleep it's you get up in the middle of the night to go to the loo and it's there instantly um, absolutely but I think this is the system's way of trying to make sense of everything right. and that's and that's a process that we have to go through and everybody has to go through we have to wake up to the very painful fact that actually the whole relationship was an illusion yes it's devastating so why, um, okay, so the thing that I noticed too uh, is around around no contact is to me that seems like there's different levels um, and as I am further and further away from the actual date of no more contact, um, to me there seems there's even still new layers and levels of no contact for me. Um, and they're around how many times I think about this, what happened, um, how it affects me, how many triggers there are for me, um, how many times I want to hear what's going on. And I tend to hear what's going on because, like I said, we're in the same industry, so I'll hear different things from other people I work with that I don't really want to hear about. I don't, I don't want to know. I used to want to know and, of course, laugh because, of course, nothing's going well <laughs> for him. Yes. But you know, nothing is going well for him. But um, but I now I, I'm finally at a place where I just don't, I really don't care. I don't feel sick about it. I, I did have to go through a stage where I felt sick even hearing about it. Now I just don't really care. But and I don't care to go, you know, hear about it. Um, and to me, those are new layers of no contact but they're they're within me um, they're they're my ability to to have no contact in my own mind about this this person yes well I I find when working with with people that each person is different there is no you know there is no system that you can say right this is perfect I I find that everybody has their own journey of no contact mm -hmm that um, even the you know of, of sometimes the narcissist themselves will refuse to let go and they will they will find every way of getting back because they're losing control the the supply is hugely important to them and uh, the victim is thinking in terms of the relationship but the narcissist is thinking in terms of the supply that they're losing and in your case, it would have been huge. 
you know, here you were giving somebody a chance of coming into a business venture and possibly providing all of your that you have on your database, contacts, uh, all sorts of things. And all of a sudden, you're now starting to pull away. And, you know, this was going to be a huge loss for him. And so it is in, in all cases, really. Um, and very often that you will they will use the, the vulnerable side of themselves, which especially empaths, we fall for the vulnerable oh, side yeah. within the narcissist. And they will they will use that. They will come back and they will exploit that to whatever degree that they're able to. Um, but when they realize that you're serious, sometimes they will move on if they have got already another, very often when they feel that the relationship is turning anyway. And that right. takes a little while, you know, you, it took you a little while before you got out, the cracks were showing. Uh, very often at that point, the narcissist actually starts up um, chasing new supply and has the new yeah. supply in place anyway. I don't know Absolutely. if that happened in your case. Yes, definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely, I was, uh, and I knew, I knew it was happening. Oh, good, this other company's coming in, and I had gotten to the point where I thought, oh, thank God, they can, they can have him. You know, I know what they're doing. They're they're doing what I did when I first met him. I got rid of uh, someone else because that person was quote unquote abusing him and abusing his company. And so I helped get rid of that person who actually I met later, and it was a, he's a, actually a wonderful person, very successful businessman, had no no idea what was going on. Um, you know that was all things I found out later. But uh, you know by the time I was ready to go and be done, I mean I plotted my exit strategy, so I knew. Yeah. You know, I, I knew that the end was coming, and I knew that I was going to need to have someone else to take my place before I could leave, and I knew that um, I was going to have to let him save face in front of his current supply yes. um, by yes. letting him think he discarded me. So, um, you know, that was all agonizing, agonizing exit strategy for me, um, but you know, we were talking about my company here, um, staying, you know, in business and while being extremely wounded. So not everybody is so lucky. If you're in a dangerous situation, I mean, of course, it's always dangerous for all of us emotionally. It's dangerous to the point. It's a murdering of your soul. Um, but, yes. I mean, in terms of physical danger, um, I don't suggest anyone try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a narcissist, just get out and leave. Um, but in my situation, it, it was physically safe for me to, you know, plot a six-month exit strategy and, and get out of that, um, okay. get out of you, that relationship. You actually um, did a really good job, a very, very good job. Um, it doesn't happen that way, and it's still very difficult, even though you were, you had the the intelligence to mind yourself and see his needs, even if you didn't understand them, you some at some level of yourself you were understanding he had that yeah. need, and you you helped foster him having being able to move into some other situation, which was going to ease the burden for you later, and right. um, 
So that was really that was really clever, really intelligent. Not everybody would think about that or have the opportunity maybe to do that. And then some people are meaning to do no contact, but they will actually toy with it. They will, for instance, they will they want to know what their narcissist is up to. Obviously, obviously, they're still attached. Right. They go onto Facebook. They watch yeah. this, and, and you know, it seems that their life is the narcissist's life is getting on. They're they're making sure they look happy in photographs. They're going to right. parties. They're you know, life is going on for them, and that is very heart wrenching for the victim who still is yeah. very attached to them. And um, and of course, this this hurts the victim to actually keep an eye on them. Um, that's called narcissistic dipping, where you're trying to dip in to find out what's happening to your ex. So you're checking the social media. Yeah, uh, you might even find yourself driving past their house just in the hope that you might get a glimpse or see if their lights are on. Are they in there, or are they out partying, or what are they up to? So victims can actually harm themselves by doing all of this, but sometimes they just have to do that. It's part of their process as well. Right. There, there is no cure-all for, for, for this, to be honest. Right, and I want to make sure that our listeners hear that piece. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. That's, I think, you know, as I said before, if I had known that every single thing that I did was profoundly healthy, I could have moved through this so much more quickly, um, but because I didn't, I wasn't educated at the time about what narcissism is. I went through yes. all this before I met you, before I met Andrew Schneider, before I, you know, met Michelle Malin. Yes. I mean, I, I did all of this before I knew you. So the amount of guilt that I felt was tremendous, and that impeded my ability to heal. And of course, then I. You know, start reading Andrea's writings, um, and you know it was like, oh, you know, the light comes down, and <laughs> but, I have to laugh. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. No, I said we just have to laugh. We have to laugh at our own process, really. <laughs> yes, laughter helps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know the. Everybody has their own their own way of getting through this. So I would never say that's a right way, that's a wrong way. I don't think there is a right or a wrong way. There's only just doing it in whatever way you can possibly manage. And right, you know, exactly. sometimes even the victim makes the mistake of because they miss terribly this person in their life. And it doesn't matter whether it's your ex-husband or wife or your friend or your sibling. It doesn't matter. You miss them terribly because you've fallen for an illusion, and you yeah. want that illusion back. You, you know, you you believe that that person is still fundamentally there. Whatever has happened to them, in, you know, you remember the way they were in the beginning, and you want to get back to that place, and you want that back again. And so, you also might make the mistake of thinking that they're missing you as well, mm -hmm. but they're not. They're not missing no, you. No, they're not. 
not that they're, they're angry with you, they're missing what you're taking away from them, but they're not missing you. You're merely the object that's supplying them with something or right. other. And, I'm, and I'm always, yeah. I'm always amazed when I when I tell people you know that are going through the thick of this. I mean, I have people now that call me in in a business setting, and um, we have clinicians on staff at everything EHR, and we found ourselves in this position of being uh, coming in as a business to an organization and helping kind of root out you know toxic narcissicity in an organization that is crippling. You know, a good a good company that's trying to do good works, and we get called in to help figure out how do we get this person out of here. So it's, it's an interesting twist on this, but mm -hmm. um, but you know it's it's fascinating to see how these people infect, how they rally the troops, and how you know they can bring down. Um, an entire, you know, even organization um, with their behavior. The only time it doesn't work when we got, get called in is if the CEO is the narcissist. <laughs> that okay, person's yes. not going anywhere. <laughs> no, no, no. Then we then we exit quickly. Thank you. You're not <coughs> the right fit for us, and we're out of here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And they do incredible damage. At the moment, I'm in a company at the moment, and I'm dealing with. Um, there are two of them. There, one would be malignant and one would be psychopathic. And they're the best of friends for the last while. And they've been causing absolute mayhem, absolute mayhem. Um, they're totally and utterly killing the working ethic of the whole company. Um, they're the morale is gone from the other members of staff having to try to deal with them. Um, but recently, they've had a major fallout. Now I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Right. And it, and it was actually the narcissist, the malignant narcissist, who actually decided she was going to take her revenge, and she actually made the, are making the company do an investigation. So it's now heavy guns are being brought in and she's insisting she's not backing down in any way for mediation or anything else. She wants this other one to be crucified. Wow. And I'm wondering, at the moment, the psychopath is acting all the innocent. But I'm I'm waiting for her to turn because God knows what will happen when she turns. So at the moment it's it's going under this process of investigation, and um, there's what I think that the the one who's put in the complaint, what I'm suspecting might happen with her is that she'll allow it to ro to ride to the eleventh hour, and then retract. That's what I think she might do. But by that time, there's devastation done anyway. Yeah, have you noticed this, Christine, when you watch these things happen? You know, now that we know what we're dealing with, um, I know that I'm, of course, it makes me sick on a, on a personal level. And I certainly, as soon as I find out that someone, you know, a narcissist or psychopath, whatever they are, but, you know, on that spectrum has entered my life, I, I'm very good now about just 
okay, you're out. You know, as soon as I figure figure it out, they're they're gone. But when I'm in a business setting and I'm supposed to be watching this behavior, and I'm you know I'm actively instead of getting away from who it is, I'm there to engage with this person. I'm there to figure out what it is they're doing and what their strategy is and what their narcissistic tells are. Um, I find it utterly fascinating to to watch them, watch how their brains work, watch what they're doing in a voyeuristic way. Um, I do. I have to admit, I do find it quite fascinating. Probably the most fascinating thing ever for me is going toe to toe in a business yeah. meeting with someone that I know is from the dark triad and watching them try to. It's almost like that movie Jurassic Park, you know, Velociraptors testing the fence line for weaknesses. That's what I feel like they're constantly trying to run through the maze of all of their bag of tricks to figure out what they can do to hook me. Absolutely. Um, and trying to stay one he one step ahead all the time. Um, right. I suppose, in a way, what you and I are talking about is we have the opportunity of holding a business boundary. So right. um, where, you know, in a more personal relationship, you don't have that. Where you and I are able, well, I'm, I, I, I'll speak for myself, where I actually will very much hold the business boundary and right. the professional boundary. So I'm able to sort of say, well, you know, um, I'll need to... I'll need to think about that. I'll come back to you later on that. Um, I'll certainly check that out. So I'm able to do those kind of things. When you're in a personal relationship, uh, it doesn't, it, that's not, it's a very different process altogether. Yes, but, but still, in what I'm trying to do is, and maybe what you're trying to do is, I'm tr trying to hold a whole office of people. I'm, try I'm aware of what's happening to each one of them. I can see what's happening to each one of them. And I'm trying to hold it in a way that, I'm, that they don't go down the tubes, that they don't actually fall apart. And that's not always easy at all. Um, right. They, they, you, I can't turn around and say you're dealing with a narcissist or you're dealing with a psychopath. I can't actually say that. But I can certainly find ways of letting them know that they need to be very careful, that they need to um, find support. Where are the supports? Where are the safe supports in the company for them? Sometimes they aren't there. Sometimes I'm the only support. But um, it's keeping the whole thing safe and while at the same time trying to weave in and out of the madness that's going on and it doesn't stop going on. It can go on for years. Yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how long people will stick things out, um, you know, with someone that, you know, comes from the dark triad. I'm I'm amazed at how long. I'm amazed at at mm -hmm how much damage um, you can see when you, you know, when you really finally get to the outside. You're looking in um, and you look back at the relationship and the people, the player, the chess pieces that are, the narcissist has surrounded them with, which make no mistake, people 
in a narcissist's life are chess pieces. That's all they are. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, the one that I dealt with, that's what he used to say, oh, I love our tennis matches. I love our chess, our chess wow. games. <laughs> and I thought, and, you know, he knew what he was doing because he lived in that every day. That is exactly how he lived his life. And his children, spouse, employees, other people in the business world, clients, they're all pieces on a chessboard to him. That's as much as they mean to him. They are not capable. I mean, I want the listeners to remember, you know, there's less gray matter in their brains. This yes. is scientifically proven. So you are no more than a chess piece and how yes. you can be maneuvered um, until they until they tell you checkmate or you tell them. Um, that is all you mean to them. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the experts will tell you that there's probably five ways to deal with them, with this if, if it's in the workplace. But actually, when you really study the research, it all boils down to one in the long run. And that usually is get out of there. Exactly. No contact. No contact. No Just contact, get out no of there because you're not able. Even you take it to your bosses. Your bosses very often the bosses cannot see what you're on about. Uh, they right. think, and they often will even say, oh, I think there's a personality conflict here. It's yes. not, it isn't a personality conflict, but the victim is finding it hard to explain what is, because they can't, they can't name it for themselves, so they can't really explain it. And often when they, and the boss will say, well, give me an example. For instance, well, what? And so the, the victim will try to give a few little examples. And sometimes they just sound pathetic. Like, oh, yeah, for God's exactly. sake, get over yourself. Move right. on. You know, ignore them. I'm sure exactly. they didn't they're, mean it. Uh-huh. They're so slippery that you can't. I had yeah. someone say to me, Kristen, I need, I need something concrete. I need you to give me something concrete. And I kept saying to him, you really don't. You're never going to get something concrete out of this. You aren't. Well, I need you to write me a report that tells me, you know, exactly what I can do to get rid of this person. And he said, because I feel like I'm holding Jello in my hands. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's because you are holding Jello in your hands. There's no report that I'm going to write that's going to help you. You have reality already. You know, I guess let me explain this to the listeners. Um, what you're dealing with with a narcissist in any setting, you know, business, personal, whatever, you're dealing with the slipperiest creature you ever can, and you already have been shown time and again concrete proof that they have hurt you, abused you, used you, and so on. But you ignore those signs because you keep trying to fix the relationship, of course, you ignore all of these blatant truths that have been thrown in your face, and you're still searching for truth. But I need the truth, and you're ignoring the fact that you've got this long, scorched road behind you that already has shown you the truth time and time yeah. again. But you keep looking for that proof. And so what I, you know, I end up telling business owners, and this gentleman was, I know that you feel like your hand is full of jello, and that's just part of this emotional process of, of this, but doesn't matter. You don't need any more proof. Get rid of this person now. You don't need a report from me. You have all the proof you need. 
this person just needs to go end of story. Well, very often I, you find that the management, um, the one thing about the nurses that they do manage to do, that is show that they're very good workers. Now, they're not always as good as they appear to be, but they can look like they're very, very good at what they do. They get very good results often because they don't mind about stepping on somebody's neck to get the result that they want in sales or whatever it is. Um, so very often the management actually values them very highly. And they don't want to get rid of them either. Not really. And, um, and when you're dealing with that, there's very little you can do. I mean, you can, you can, in my capacity, I can warn them, we have a difficulty here. We have a personality problem here. And um, the, the office is suffering as a result. Um, at the, at the, they will often decide to do nothing because yeah. they don't, they're terrified that if they sack this person, if they let them go, that this person will take um, legal action against them, go yeah. to the labor course, and they actually do. They actually love the drama of courtrooms. They're not oh, afraid absolutely. of it. Yeah, the majority of us would think, oh my God, I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to go into court. I'd be afraid, and how much might it cost, and what if I lose, and we'd go through all those hoops. They don't care about that. They no. just get single-minded and they're going to, so what they do is they make a case for, I'm going to take you to the law courts, I'm going to do this. If they're part of a union, they're going to get all of them involved. And I have seen this happen. And then they'll come back to the table and they'll actually get the management to withdraw. And I've actually seen the innocent people, not even just, one one place that I worked in, they had five people in the office. One was killing everything about the, this office. And I did flag it down to the boards, and I said something had to be done. But I had I, it had been mentioned long before I did that by the the coordinator of the place that we have this terrible problem with this individual. In total, the, the three or four staff had left and named it. I'm leaving because of her. I can't stay here any longer. So that was all on record. Um, I had got the coordinator to keep an absolute um, log of everything that happened. But even in spite of all of that, when it came to it, the whole thing imploded eventually. And the four other staff members all had to leave. They all left. It left one person in the office. The narcissist ended up in the office. The whole place imploded. Of course. And four people, four really, really good people. And one person had been 18 years in that position. Mm. Four people, have, they became so ill that they had no choice but to leave. And one was on a out over a year, still hadn't left the job, but was a year out on sick leave and just not coping and falling apart. Uh, but the company still kept the one person and let all the other four go. 
I mean, it was really, I, I couldn't believe that that happened. I couldn't believe yeah. that they would allow that to happen. But it's always shocking. Hmm. Well, the only the only good thing I can say was that this person was definitely after her boss's job. Absolutely. Yeah. So after that, made it very clear, made, said it, said she could do a better job. Um, but don't ask me whatever did happen with with the boards because um, I don't really know. But she was the only one left in the place, and they had to bring in new staff, obviously, and get the place up and running running again. But they never gave her the boss's job, the coordinator's job. Um, so obviously they did know. They did know something that they. It, it would seem like the obvious place to put one person that was left who was very good at the job. I have to say she was a very good worker, and she was capable of knowing all of the different departments. But actually, um, they didn't give her that role. So obviously, something more was going on underneath that even I never got privy to. Yeah, that leads me to you know a really good place here um, when we're talking about dealing with narcissists, where we have no contact, we have, um, and and that's difficult and and it's definitely difficult to achieve for many different reasons that we've already discussed. It's your job. It's your spouse, you have children, and so on. But there's a really great article out there that I've found called The Gray Rock Method. Uh -huh. And um, it talks about what you can do to really strategize um, in, in any situation how to deal with these people. And the idea is that you, the victim, become the real victim, not the narcissist who's you know, pretending to be the victim of your craziness, you the actual victim here, um, that you become as, you know, unshiny as possible. You become as boring as possible. So in that situation that you're talking about, I think, you know, that company could have united all of the people together said, look, this is what we're dealing with here. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, they didn't have the language to know to do this, but I've seen this in places yeah. where I've worked. I rally the troops, we figure out who the problem person or people are, and then I tell everyone, you are now going to be as boring as possible. The company has no money, uh, you, no one here knows what they're doing, do not do anything. Don't defend yourself. Don't give them anything to chew on anymore. Be, swallow your egos because this is about your survival now. This is not about proving to the narcissist that they're wrong for why they're attacking you. No, we're beyond that. This is now about your company's survival. So what you need to put out there is this company's going down the tubes. It's not a, it's not a ship we're sailing anymore. Uh, we all are going to end up quitting, we're looking at other jobs, and I guarantee you, once the narcissist thinks that this is true, they'll leave of their own accord. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they, they don't like that at all. I would do exactly. something similar. Uh, it's great what you're doing, and um, I wouldn't have known it as the grey rock, but you've made me aware of that in the past, and it is, it's exact, it is exactly what I would be recommending as well that um, you know narcissists love all things shiny they're like magpies mm -hmm. so don't be shiny don't be, you know be dull and you never know anything you're quite you know you're a bit dull and 
absolutely they're not they will kind of get bored with you they will of course try to move on to somebody else in the office then if you're in a position where you're able to talk to everybody especially I'm lucky in one regard in some of the companies I'm in but not all of the companies in some of the companies I meet all of the staff for an hour every month mm. so I get to hear I get to hear whatever's going on from different from different points of view and nobody knows that the other one has maybe talked to me about it they might think they're the only one mentioning it and, and I don't have to disclose oh yes I heard this from somebody else but uh, right. but I'm in some companies where I'm only dealing let's say with the boss and the boss is not the narcissist the, the boss is the one trying to deal with the narcissist and right. um, so I'm able to do that coach them through I'm able to uh, I will sort of say don't don't buy in and um, make it hard for them put things in place like if you have a complaint I need you to put that in writing to me because that's something right. they don't like to do they don't right. like to put they don't like really a paper a paper trail to them they don't so Absolutely. I might I might instruct the you know the the boss to okay when they come and they want to talk about someone or they have something that you know this is going to be this is trouble be all nice to them and say that oh god I'm up to my eyes at the moment you you look like the weak one and the you know yes put that put that in oh that's a fantastic idea put that in writing to me and I'll get I'll get back to you now they don't like to do that but occasionally they won't realize what they've done so you're creating a paper trail all the time and this is very useful when it comes to arguments later um, so there's different ways of handling them that, that um, that they're not aware of what's going on you're not feeding them um, right one of my bosses was forever getting very upset and distressed and the more distressed she became the worst her narcissist became as well because she knew that she had the control and yes. as we as I coached her through right pulling back pulling back you know let her let her think she's marvelous and wonderful when she tells you an idea, tell oh that's fantastic, but do nothing with it. Just ignore yeah. it. And it, it a lot of the time that really works a treat. So what we're both doing does appear to be working a lot of the time, but it won't work all of the time in every situation. And I think we need to just always be aware. You've got to be as creative in this work as you can possibly be, because they're all quite different and even the victims themselves are different right exactly I mean we're dealing with psychology here absolutely so you have to right and you know some of the things that you told me that just cracked me up you had said you had met with a colleague and uh, the two of you you know were discussing your own pathology and I thought that is hilarious what an empath yeah uh, someone who's an empath would say because I'll do the same thing and we've you know we've done it with each other well did what we just say was that a little narcissistic? I mean, that's kind of a joke yes. in my company. Are you being are you being narcissistic? You know. Um. <laughs> yeah, but do you know do you know why I think that might be? I mean, we're laughing about it, but actually, it can be for the empath. It can be a very hard thing to deal with. Um, if they if they um, empaths naturally do not want to hurt another person's feelings. Right. Right. When they do, you you mentioned it a little while. This guilt, 
they feel so guilty if they think that they actually have hurt another person. And especially if they have, if they think that they have done it deliberately, they almost can't live with that idea. So when they are either questioning themselves or if they're being accused by the narcissist of having hurt them, then they feel terrible and the, and the guilt gets to them. And so always the empath is dealing with that. I know, and I've, I've certainly felt because I'm having to, gosh, I know I'm, I'm having a hard time explaining it. It's hard to explain it because it's hard work that, that we do when we we do a tango with a narcissist. Um, yeah. I'm using many, many, many of the skills that I've developed by watching and being a victim of these people. And I'm finally to a place where I don't feel guilty about that. But for a long time when I first started doing my work in this, I felt like, oh, are these people now, have I turned into who they are? Um, because I'm having to use some of the very things that they've mastered in order to deal with them. I'm over that myself, but I think a lot of victims, and I know that a lot of victims I've talked to that have tried to be strategic about how they, you know, deal with this person think that, you know, now am I becoming evil because I'm using a lot of the same, uh, you know, tricks that they've yeah. used on me. But I think what you're, what you're also flagging here, and I think it's really important, especially for anybody, any empath that's listening in, um, what you're talking about is you've gone through, and, and me as well, we have both gone through a process of we've actually discovered what narcissistic behavior looks like. We've, you need to understand that. You really do need to understand that. And that's, where, that's why I wrote the book that I did, so that you could under, people could understand the behaviors and recognize them for narcissistic behavior. But once you have that information under your belt, you're going to be a very, very different person. You are going to, like now, if I, if I realize it, now I might not always realize it at first, but when I realize that I am dealing with somebody who's been very narcissistic, then I'm able to um, do what you, what you now are doing. I'm able to write, I'm very aware, I'm not going to buy into this. I'm certainly not going to allow myself to become a victim here. And, and I will act very, very differently to the empath that I was. We've got to remember also that empaths have very fragile boundaries. Right. And they absorb um, wild emotions that you get from the narcissist right into them. So yeah. I have had to change, I have had to look at my boundaries, I have had to very much strengthen them and that took a bit of work because I, I didn't even realize that I had, a, that my boundaries were fragile. Um, so I have actually had to build boundaries that when I'm in the, when I realize I'm in the um, company of a narcissist, I act differently. Yes. I don't allow their projections to land on me and take over in the way that I used to before because I didn't believe that people would be deliberately projecting onto me. That didn't occur right. to me. I, I don't think it does to most people. 
You know, what's, what's interesting about that, Christine, it's so fascinating to me because I'll feel myself. You know, you know that you're a natural empath when you, you can't help it. This is who we are. We yes. can't help it. Because I'm, you know, actively in my personal life, I meet someone, you know, that's, a, that's narcissistically disordered. I'm out. Like, as soon as I figure it out, I'm out. There's no benefit in me working through that. But, you know, in business, I'm supposed to work with them to figure out what's going on. And I can feel myself starting to feel sorry for them, starting to buy into their victimhood, starting to buy into their story. I can feel it happening in myself. And now it's so fascinating to sit there and use it as my own litmus test. Um, Okay, today I started to feel sorry for this person fascinating okay that's a good indicator for me to now I need to not work with them closely in close quarters for a few days so I can get my objectivity back about what's best for this organization but it requires me to work with them closely for a bit to see exactly what it is they're doing so it's such I don't know that you know anyone that isn't an an empath or highly empathic person can understand how you can't help it. That is part of our gift is that we do just feel these things, that we can take the emotional temperature of everyone in a room um, except a narcissist because they don't have any emotions, but um, (laughs) that you can, well, it's not that they don't have emotions, but they're very shallow emotions, but that, that we, that's the nature of being an empath is to be receptive. So but ev- but even empaths have got to maybe just look and see are they out of balance, right? And because I don't want to change anybody from being um, from being an empath, it's it's a beautiful uh, way of being. Uh, but some but some certainly for me, I'll speak of myself again, that uh, there was a flaw in my niceness. There was a big yeah. flaw in my niceness, and. Um, I took it to dizzy heights and it harmed me a great deal. Um, and we shouldn't be as condemning of our anger. We should make, we, we need to learn to embrace our angry side. Yeah. That it's okay, you know, empaths don't like to be angry. They, they think it's not very nice and it's um, a lower level of conscience, consciousness and that sort of thing. But actually, we need to actually balance ourselves out a little bit. Um, we need to see, keep the niceness, but be appropriate in our niceness. We yeah. need to, when we feel these feelings of anger come up towards someone, let let the anger be our educator. Let it speak to us. Let us t- let it tell us why it's making us feel angry, and make friends with it. And don't don't cast it down into the dungeon where I would have cast my anger down into the dungeon and um, I had to let it out and but it's <laughs> it's about bringing it all into it's we're out of balance too as victims we are and we need to bring ourselves back into balance but we don't have to kill off what's good about ourselves and we also need to be very aware that the narcissist sees our niceness as foolishness they don't right. see it as niceness. They see it as a way of getting more out of us. And it's Absolutely. foolish. And they feel entitled to everything we're giving. That's 
I'm dealing with a situation like that right now. Absolute entitlement um, to everything that you give. And when you have finally had it and said, I've given enough, the narcissist, of course, says, oh, well, you've been in agreement on this all along. You know, they, and they throw rationale at you. They throw their rationale at you. Um, yes. you've given, and, and it's true. You have given all along. Um, so, you know, but the, the thing, you know, when you're dealing with a narcissist is they're always going to turn around the situation and put it on you, that it's your fault that you've given too much to them. And I always tell people, mm, you know what, what you need to look at is how much did they allow you to give them? Yes, yes. Because normal, full, you know, people that aren't missing such huge portions of gray matter in their brain don't allow people to give them that much. They, mm -hmm. put, they put a boundary up. Narcissists don't. They'll let yes. you give until you've got nothing left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then they still won't have enough. They'll be on to the exactly. next person then. But as victims, working with, vic with victims, um, it is very important to, that they work on their boundaries, that they explore them, because they, they, probably like me, they wouldn't have been aware of them very, as, you know, as much as I should have been. Um, explore their emotions so that they can differentiate between their own self and, and other people's emotions right. and because we like we take that in we become responsible for then the narcissist if they're not happy it's our fault so we 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 take ownership of responsibility to make sure that they are okay but we we do need to that's out of balance we need to bring it into balance we need to learn to control our empathy which yeah. might sound a very terrible thing to say but I think it is true we need to learn to control our empathy and and the niceness and um, in that we don't have to become heartless by doing that we don't have to kill it off right we just have to control it I absolutely agree I think um, we need to it's self-protection and that it's okay to walk away from things, as an as you know, good-natured people uh, try to do. They try to work things out. They will stay in situations much longer than they need to um, because they want to work this out. And when you're dealing with a narcissist, they're counting on you doing that. And yes. I've learned that it is okay to just say, "Nope, this doesn't feel right for me." I don't have to explain myself. I don't care if the other people in the situation think I'm being too harsh. This doesn't feel right for me anymore, and I'm out. I'm done. And that mm -hmm. brings me to, I know we're, we're coming up on time, but I want to share this with our listeners and share it with you. I don't know if you'd come across this, Christine. Um, there's a certain blog that I go to called Relationshipedia, and it's written by a licensed clinical social worker named Beth, I'm sorry, Brie Bonche. I hope I, Brie, if I ever have you on the show, I hope I said your name correctly. But um, I've been reading some of her work, and I'll send this to you, Christine, if you haven't. Oh, I, no, just, I haven't seen it. No. Okay. This is great. There's an article called How to Permanently Detach from a Narcissist. And I won't, of course, read the article, but it's, it's a new level of no contact. I call it the the final level of no contact and it's called 
um, it's called Stover, which I think is fascinating. That's the last name of my ex-husband, who's a very good friend. So he got okay. such a kick out of this. You're going to go Stover, yay! Um, and it's it stands for so totally over. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and okay. I'll send it to you. So listeners, if if you want to look up this article, um, look up. Uh, Brie Bonchay, B-O-N-C-H-A-Y, or um, how to permanently detach from a narcissist and read about what um, so totally over means. And that is that you erect that impenetrable, final impenetrable wall where you don't know what's going on in their lives, all of their trials and tribulations and success and eventual demise does not matter because you're not going to ever know about it. Because you're that's how so totally over okay. that narcissist you are. You are done. So Nothing. you don't even hear the good, <laughs> the bad, or the ugly with them anymore. Oh, so I imagine then, because I, I I will go and have so you know find this article. I I imagine then that probably <clears throat> this article is taking you through the no contact things like absolutely no phone calls, no texts, no emails, get, yep. getting, your, getting them off, you know, your Facebook and Twitter and those kind of things. Um, so unblocking them from maybe um, viewing your page, and that's very important as well, that they, you yeah. know, you don't want them seeing you miserable. It'll, that, that'll only make them happy. Um, right. So we're, I imagine that it means going through the usual things that are involved in no contact. Do we need to mention any of those things? Well, I just have some of them. Do we need to mention any of what those things are for people? or just... That would be great. That would be great, Christine. Well, some of the things that I was saying, like obviously basically blocking contact with them and that they have contact to finding out about you. Um, avoid going places that remind you of them or where you're likely to um, bump into them because I actually know people will actually deliberately victims when they're going when they're finding it really hard will go out of their way to actually go back and hope that they'll bump into them in the nightclub that they used to go to. Um, another thing might be you know when people want to discuss tell you things about your narcissist um, ask them please you don't you know tell them please I'd rather you didn't tell me anything. Um, you might need to just put that boundary down because that can open up wounds when, you know, your friends might not mean harm. They may not realize how much you're hurting. They might think you're over it, but you're not. And they'll be telling you some girl they saw him with or whatever it was or some girl, you know, don't forget females are also narcissists. So oh, yeah. it'll be the other way around as well. Um so don't do anything that allows you to keep tabs on them or them on you because that will keep the wound open. Um, another thing that pe people often want to do is they know that the narcissist is in a new relationship and they want to go and warn that person. Yes. I haven't found that ever to be helpful. Of course you can do that if that's what you feel. You feel, well, how can I let somebody else suffer what I suffered? Generally, the person that you're going to talk to will be in the honeymoon phase, the idealized stage, 
where Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful, you know, no wrong. Yeah. absolutely. They've also probably heard all about negative stuff about you anyway, and so right. they, think, they think it's all you anyway. So I think you're better off stepping back and let the person find out for themselves. And they will in time find out. Um, so I, I, can you think of anything to add to that? Well, I think also when you're when you're really ready to grow um, and you're going to use this painful, horrifyingly soul-scorching painful situation to propel you to the next level of your growth, um, I think what you have to do too is take a look at your life and the people that are in it and decide who do you really want to continue being friends with. And I think if you make a list of who do you feel good around and who do you feel uh, pretty awful around, you're going to find that that list, um, that are the people that you don't feel great around are tied in some way to the narcissist. And yeah, Oh, that's a, good, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, and so you not only do you need to go no contact on the narcissist themselves, but also the people that are that still have tendrils back to that person because some of them, like you said, they don't mean to hurt you. And there are many, many apathetic people and empaths that are wounded and under the control of the narcissist that are doing their dirty work for them so that their hands can yeah, get clean. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they're the flying monkeys. They'll get people, they'll have people working for them, even though the people themselves won't know. Another thing that actually I watch out for as well when I'm working with the victim um, is I try to get them to avoid alcohol at this stage. Yeah, because so many have, um, you know, they'll go out with their friends and they're trying to drown their sorrows, obviously. Um, but then at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, they'll send that text or that voicemail to the narcissist, yeah. and they they they'll say things that they shouldn't have said. And yeah. sometimes they invite the narcissist back in, and they might even end up in their bed that night. That can happen. Right. I've seen it happen many yeah. a time. And, and al alcohol also, um, I mean, I find even now I steer clear of it completely because um, it just, to me, lowers my resistance to dealing with these kinds of people. I have to be at my most um, I have to operate at the highest level that I, as a human being, can operate in order to do the work that I do. And anything like alcohol lowers my resistance. And I find that if I have a drink or if I'm out with friends and we're having a drink, I really give myself a few days afterwards to kind of detox from that where I'm not really dealing with the public too much because my resistance is lowered. And the level of the work that I do, I can't. I can't afford to have my resistance lowered. I just can't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose then the last thing I would say to somebody is also, um, don't bother to think that you have to let them know that they are a narcissist or a psychopath. Forget that. They're not oh, going yeah. to take that on. You know, they're not going to learn from it. They're not going to grow from it. Um, it's a waste of time. Because basically, all is well in their world anyway. 
Why would they want to change? They're happy. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, okay. thank you, Christine. We did it again, and I mean, we could talk for one of these days, and it will be soon. I'm coming to Ireland. <laughs> and we'll do a marathon. <laughs> we'll do a marathon, yes. <laughs> so please tell everyone again before we go the name of the book, where it can be bought, and your website. Okay, well, the name of the book is The Three Faces of Evil, and you can get it on my on, you can get links to it on my website, which is NarcissisticBehavior.net. And um, you can get the physical book from Amazon, or you can download directly from my website. And I'm just about to go off on holidays, and the intention is to write the follow-up book, which will be all about the victim, the effects of narcissism on the victim. Wonderful. So that's so that's that's the other side of the coin. So the two books hopefully will be companions. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't. I know there are so many people that can't wait. Every time I announce doing another show with Christine, I end up getting you know hundred emails and when 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 when. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Christine, for joining us again. Well, thank you so much for having me once again. And as usual. We didn't have a we didn't have a break or a moment to let. I'm sorry if I didn't let you get your your words in quick enough. And anyway, I oh, hope you did. that you're such a I hope that, Well, I hope anyway that people have an idea of what it is that they have to do. And you know, there's no right way or wrong way. We just do the best you can. Wonderful. And thanks to our listeners again for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.